Welcome to Why Is with Ty and Dan. This week we discuss Yo Gabba Gabba for three hours. Who wrote this? Danny? This is the sting of music. I'm Danny Vincent. And I'm Tyler Borland. And this is Why Is with Ty and... Oh my god. Why is that the title? I don't understand. What's going on? Anyways, MCU news. (laughs) Okay. This week in the MCU news... Um, first we're going to discuss something that isn't really news for us because we sleep when the episodes get up because maybe people listen to this get up at 3am to watch a new episode of WandaVision but personally I think that would be really bad on my ability to re- uh, retain what the episode is about I think you agree with me there Tyler yeah um, but apparently Disney Plus went down when this episode went up which I think is kind of amusing uh, and that can lead me to talking a little bit about the ratings for WandaVision, which, again, I guess, like, I don't really think this is necessarily MCU news, if you think about it, because it's not like when Black Widow comes out, I'm going to be, we're going to be on this, like, Black Widow made this much money this weekend, right? Like, that's not relevant to this. Yeah. However, I do want to talk about, like, how I feel like the ratings for WandaVision have been misconstrued by the media. I read an article that said that WandaVision was the number one scripted thing on its first week out uh, on streaming. Well, I don't know why I'm specifying scripted, because it's not like reality TV does well on on streaming anyway. Uh, but then the second week, it dropped down. And I want to point out, and like you were like, ooh, I guess this means the weekly model fails. And I want to point out why um, the streaming analytics suck. Uh, cause you know, they used to do TV ratings, right? Like they would like Nielsen is his own thing. I don't really get it, but so Netflix does their things where they say someone's watched their show. If you watch two minutes, you watched an entire series. Yeah. It's really ridiculous. Um, in the case of this info, you get it from a firm called parrot analytics analytics. And their thing is they measure the amount of minutes watched by a TV show of the TV show watched that week. And they use a bunch of sourcing that is kind of iffy. But be, be, let's say they had perfect sourcing, all right? Uh, and people were like, oh no, Bridgerton did better than WandaVision. Look at how many more people watched it. Okay. So <laughs> I'm going to say it bluntly Bridgerton was put up on Netflix as about 10. Or 11 hour long episodes. Of course they're going to be have bigger minutes watched. Than a show that at yeah. that point had only 60 minutes released of it. <laughs> and this reminds me of. This is, some, this is a side rant. Is that Warner Brothers sent out a press release. Bragging about how Wonder Woman was the most watched movie at home over Christmas. When it like. I don't remember their exact numbers. But it was like. It was like, it's been watched 3 million more minutes more than Soul was on Disney+. And it's like, Soul is a 90-minute movie, and Wonder Woman 1984 is two and a half hours long. If Wonder Woman did worse, that's a massive, massive problem. They're yeah. not equivalent. 
Well, that's um, that's news. Like no, you make a good point there because that's news. If Soul would have would have you know outperform outperformed in that analytic, um, towards that would have been crazy. Wonder Woman, <laughs> yeah, yeah, would have. But uh, yeah, to go the other way and boast about that, it's definitely skewed. Yeah. And I think also the the thing of well, this is just a side note. I think directly comparing those two movies is ridiculous too, because Wonder Woman also made like sixteen million dollars in theaters, and I don't know if you heard from me, but Soul wasn't even released in theaters. I, I remember you mentioning that. Yeah, <laughs> I mention it every day. <laughs> anyway, um, all right. Well, well, now now we'll move on to some actual MCU news. Thank you for dealing with me ranting about how ratings suck. So the big MCU news this week was that um, Marvel announced that they're going to do a documentary series of specials on Disney Plus after all their upcoming projects, starting with WandaVision the week after WandaVision ends. Uh, it's called Assembled, and they're going to do episodes for Falcon and Winter Soldier, Loki, Black Widow, and Hawkeye. All those are confirmed. I would presume if they're doing Black Widow, Shang-Chi and Eternals are confirmed. Uh... I was a little surprised they didn't mention Miss Marvel or What If. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, they're going to do documentaries, which is kind of cool. I feel like there's a lot of lacking of behind-the-scenes stuff. Mm-hmm. My hope is that this is actually behind-the-scenes stuff and not, like, fluff they recorded to market the show yeah. and then they just compiled it together into one thing at the end. Because I feel like a lot of marketing is that. Uh, and, like, they've done this... I. Well, I know they have a Frozen 2 documentary series that I haven't watched because Frozen... I think Frozen 2 is bad, and the idea of me sitting down and watching a six-hour-long documentary about these people who are like, yeah, we're going to make the best movie ever, and at the end they're like, yeah, we released it, and it was a success. I'm just like, I mean, it was a success. I made money, but it wasn't good. Uh, so I'm, I'm not going to subject well, myself... But I, I watched the Mando one. Sorry, that's my point. Yeah. I watched the Mandalorian one, and the first season was really good into... Uh, the first season of the documentary series was really good at delving into stuff that isn't necessarily covered. Like, I remember they have a whole 30 minutes dedicated just to the score, which I think was really cool. But in the second season, it was like, man, they should have released these after every episode. Because it's like, that one was more separated by episode by episode behind the scenes. And like, um, Mando season two spoilers. Uh, inexplicably, it gave behind the scenes on everything except for the Luke Skywalker cameo. And I was just like, what? Like, why wouldn't this be covered? This is the most, like, this is the most talked about visual effect of the season. And you're going to not acknowledge it? But anyway, of the WandaVision special, even if it's a one-off, because it is a one-off, I hope it is more like the Mando season one ones than anything else. Uh, What's your opinion? So I definitely agree with what you said about a a lot of making of specials can turn into promotional pieces and for that reason i usually avoid watching these making ofs but uh if these are actually going to be them showing us what's going on behind the scenes um very similar to um benedict cumberbatch um doing the capture motion for smaug in in uh the hobbit movies um like if we get some background of that i think that would be that would be really cool maybe they can show us some vision flying action you know yeah and i remember but, um when they were marketing this was actually when they're marketing i never saw a documentary about it but when they were marketing guardians one it was really cool to see like bradley cooper in the recording booth doing rocket because mm-hmm. uh, it was just like wow you're really getting into it 
Yeah. And also, that's the sort of thing when you said Smaug. But yeah, I think there's a happy medium to balance. Um, and in regard, uh, do you have anything else you want to say? Because I wanted to make a comment about it in regards to this podcast and the uh, documentary. No, no, you're good. Uh, as a heads up for people listening, uh, these documentaries, I think we will watch them. Or at least watch the first one, but I don't know if we'll really cover it here. We'll figure it out when we get there, because I feel like recapping a documentary is very different than recapping a show. Because not like me like, ooh, I wonder what this means for the future of the MCU. Or like, like ooh, I really like the choice they did here with the lighting. Like, I, maybe we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Because that's also going to be, uh, we haven't announced this formally, but it will be our first retro episode that week. So we might be de- busy talking about some other stuff. Because uh, I feel like actually those episodes will run maybe a bit long. But you'll all see that in a couple of weeks once we're done with WandaVision anyway. Our next piece of news is uh, Laurel Madsen will play Zoe Zimmer in Miss Marvel. Um, I've read the first Miss Marvel trade. Zoe Zimmer is basically the Flash Thompson of Kamala Khan's life. Uh, I don't know who Laurel Madsen is. I looked her up. She seems relatively unknown. Uh... Yeah, this kind of news kind of just speaks for itself. Tyler, do you have any comment? No, very similar to uh, the Captain Marvel 2 casting from last week is that I'm glad that the MCU is... The MCU's... Marvel Studios is giving um, uh, lesser-known actors this uh, this chance to get on, get on a, on a uh, bigger bigger show i feel like to me i'd rather give them the credit there for who they cast for miss marvel though you know yeah this role it's just like it's it's i guess my my response to this news is really more just like wow i'm glad they're not cutting that character uh but i'm also indifferent to the character so it's like okay but yeah good for you marvel and our last piece of news is that uh danny elfman uh, he's a very famous composer, uh, and he's going to score Doctor Strange 2, replacing Michael Giacchino, who is also a very famous composer. Uh, let me give you some context for people who don't follow movie scores as much as I do. Uh, Michael Giacchino did Doctor Strange 1. He won an Oscar for um, Up, the Pixar movie Up. And I know he is most famous for his work on the Star Trek movies with Chris Pine. Uh, and also on Lost, the TV show Lost. Uh, he also did the Planet of the Apes movies, the new ones, and I thought those were really good too. Uh, I think his Marvel work has been terrible though. <laughs> uh, Michael Giacchino did Doctor Strange 1, which was alright. I don't have an issue actually Doctor Strange's 1 scored. But he also has done the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies, which main theme I hate, because they're, con- well, because it's constantly like, it's such a... He does what he does in Rogue One, because he also did the Rogue One score. And Rogue One's main theme, like, starts with... Da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah, it starts with da, da, but then it jumps into something totally different. Mm-hmm. And I hate it, because it's like, I think the Star Wars theme is about to play. Yeah. And then it doesn't. And then in Spider-Man, the theme starts with... Da, da, da. So it's like Spider-Man, but then it jumps into something totally different. And I hate it. I keep thinking, because he does, you know, the 60s theme for the logo of that movie. And I've mm-hmm. always been like, why don't they just play, do the real one? But anyway, Danny Elfman, very famous composer. Uh, he did 
he does a ton of Tim Burton movies. He did the original Batman movies with Michael Keaton. And then he also did uh, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. Two of, like, in my opinion, those are two of the most iconic superhero themes ever. Um, then he also has done... Uh, this is probably his most famous work for people listening would be that he did all the music for Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, so, you know, it's just very Tim Burton style. But I do think that the Spider-Man... And that's why he's doing it, you know, because Sam Raimi is directing Doctor Strange too. Yeah. Uh, his Spider-Man score is, like, one of the best super... I think it's one of the most iconic superhero scores ever, outside of, of course, the John Williams Superman theme. Um, and sorry, uh, sorry, Alvin Silvestri. Uh, I don't think... My thing is, okay, so the Avengers theme, right? It is probably Marvel's most famous theme, right? I think it became iconic just because they repeated a ton, which it, which but it's more because they don't repeat any other of their themes, you know? Because mm-hmm. I think, uh, otherwise, the only tracks in the MCU that really stand out to me was, like, the Killmonger theme in Black Panther, because it's a very, like, bass-heavy theme. Yeah. I'm trying to think of um, anything else in Marvel stands out Frigga's to me. death scene in in I got uh, no Thor clue. 2 it's, I, I got no clue on that one I do actually think though the Thor 1 score is underrated if we ever cover Thor 1 on our show I'll talk about how I really like the score especially because in Ragnarok at the end of Ragnarok when he sits on the throne the, the score from Thor 1 starts playing mm-hmm. and that to me always feels like a great moment because there's never that's the real issue with Marvel is that they constantly give their people new themes yeah, I like the Iron Man three theme. The Iron Man three theme is very good. That's probably my favorite. Yeah, Marvel I've score. I've seen a lot of fan edits on YouTube that when they uh, go back to if they, it's an edit of Iron Man one or two, they will use the Iron Man three theme in yeah, their the edit. Man, well, yeah, I do like the Iron Man, the Iron Man one theme. Uh, I think Iron Man one has a good theme too. It the does. The issue is, as I've always said, and also Captain America, Captain America one has a good theme, but then they don't really reuse it. Um, but yeah, I think that's really the issue with Marvel is they, they have, they, they give good themes, but then they don't reuse it. Uh, and it's like, you know, the Spider-Man theme wouldn't have been iconic if they dropped it after the first movie, right? Same with Batman or Super. well, Superman would have thinks it's John Williams, uh, but that's a different story. Um, but yeah, Danny Elfman, okay, uh, Danny Elfman has done, worked with Marvel before in Age of Ultron, which... Actually, I don't know if you know why Danny Elfman... I think there was a rumor why Danny Elfman got brought on to Age of Ultron, which is that Brian Tyler, who did the score for Thor 2, your favorite, and... Um, favorite score. And Iron Man 3, which yeah. is actually good. He yeah. did them both, but then he'd already committed to doing Furious 7, mm-hmm. and I think it was like he didn't want to drop Furious 7 because that movie had a troubled production for really obvious reasons. Yeah. Uh, so he was like, no, I am obligated to do Furious 7. I can't go back and score these reshoots for Avengers 2. So they were like, well, then we'll bring in Danny Elfman. Um, and that's actually why both those reasons are why Avengers 2 doesn't really use the Sylvester um, Avengers theme a lot. The Sylvester method. Sorry. Yeah, Sylvester, <laughs> well, Sylvester is probably Marvel's ace in the hole when it comes yeah. to their scores. Because he did the Avengers movies. Mm-hmm. And he did... Um, he did Captain America 1, which, as I said, I think has the best music outside of the Avengers movies. Um, and oh, Black Panther. Black Panther has great music, too. Um, but, yeah. Uh, you can talk about Danny Elfman a bit. Your What's your opinion on this? I think it's an upgrade, personally, because I think Giacchino's Marvel's themes have been kind of, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think I, Raimi will bring something good out of him. Yeah, I think I think bringing Danny Elfman, we bring a lot of uh, experience um, on board, and then also uh, the thing I like about Danny Elfman is he looks at the script. Uh, he takes parts of the script or even filming, and then he matches the music to that, um, which I think that's like music sound is as just as much as visual. Um, you know, think about if you would take away the Avengers theme from the big, big portals moment in Endgame. It the you know it adds it adds gravity it adds a gravity to it and uh, it like music can make a make or break a scene so uh so yeah i i do i do think that danny elfman's uh time with avengers 2 um given what you said like i understand why it was the way it was um but uh avengers 2 to me is a flawed flawed film that um that ended up being really important yeah that ended up being (laughs) super important um but uh but yeah, like uh, I, I think given his other his other work, give him a second chance. Yeah, see the what, only thing see that what he is does. Concerning to me about Danny Elfman, and I do want to mention this is that he did the he um, replaced Hans Zimmer and Junkie XL on the Justice League movie when mm-hmm. Zack Snyder got fired. And I don't want to talk about Zack Snyder that much, but I do think. Uh, one of the few undeniably good things about Batman v Superman is the score. Hans Zimmer. Uh, yeah, Hans Zimmer. And Junkie XL. Cause Junkie XL yeah, did, Junkie um, XL is good. Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. Which is a really great score. Um, but anyway, uh, so Joss Whedon, when he took over Justice League, brought on Danny Elfman. And Danny Elfman, bless his soul, but I think this was a very bad decision, is he threw out Zimmer's Batman theme and just weaved in his Michael Keaton Batman theme to the score instead. And, like, the reason why I think that it was a really weird choice is, um, let me put it this way. Hans Zimmer could have put in his Christian Bale Batman theme in the movie, but he didn't. He made a new one for Ben Affleck. Mm-hmm. And I know, I think the Doctor Strange theme, even though it's not hummable, is good. Uh, but I also don't think it matches Danny Elfman's style. So I do think we'll be getting a new Doctor Strange theme yeah i'm curious if how it will sound i also am curious if we'll even because i'm because we know wanda is in doctor strange too and i Mm -hmm. think wanda's theme which plays in the credits of pretty much any episode of the show besides um when they play licensed music i think it's actually pretty good and i also think it fits in with elfman style because um christoph beck does the score for wandavision he's done the ant-man scores which i think are also solid marvel scores uh but anyway, yeah, movie score talk. I actually really like talking movie scores. Um, but I also am aware I'm not super... I just like listening to movie scores. I would like to see... This is just me saying it, Marvel, please put it. Uh, get John Powell one of these movies. Uh, John Powell is, in my opinion... There are two great composers, Tyler, currently working besides like John Williams. And this will be... Sorry, I, I know this is a side note, but I don't know when we're going to get to talk about the scores on this. They're two yeah. great composers uh, currently working. Uh, one of them is Alexandra Desplat, who was fired from Black Widow, so I'm not that excited there. He also got fired from Rogue One. Yeah, he was replaced with Lauren Balfi, who's done the scores from the recent Mission Impossibles. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
Alexander Dustblatt was also fired from Rogue One and replaced with Michael Giacchino with like eight weeks before the movie premiered. Uh, Alexander Dustblatt is wonderful. He did that's the last the, few Harry Potter That's the movies. time to do it. That's the time he to change out <laughs> yeah, your I composers. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then they, well, I think the same thing happened with him for Black Widow, but then Black Widow got delayed a year. Right. So, <laughs> um, so hopefully Lauren Balfi brings his stuff because it's not like he was under a time crunch anymore. Um, but anyway, uh, and then the other great one is John Powell, who's done How to Train Your Dragon, which, in my opinion, those movie scores are, like, ridiculously great. Yeah, they are. And I think How to Train Your Dragon is a great movie, but I think the scores are even better. I think the scores in it are, like, masterpieces of all the movies of those. And then he also did Solo, which I don't really like as a movie, but I think the score is, does a so much better job of emulating John Williams than Rogue One. And I hope... I hope John Powell is the next go-to Star Wars composer. Uh, even though I do think Ludwig Gorsen is doing a great job on Mando, the reason he's doing a great job is because it doesn't sound like Star Wars, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that fits for the show. Uh, but yeah, that's, this is me geeking out on movie scores. Uh, <laughs> sorry, guys. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Danny Elfman, I like him as a choice. I do think... The uh, thing is also, this is the last thing I say on it. Maybe you want to wrap it up too, or we can just move on. Uh, I wouldn't be as excited for Danny Elfman if it wasn't that Sam Raimi was directing. Because I think composers bring their best when they're partnered with a good director. Mm-hmm. Uh, see Ludwig Gorsen compare his work on Venom to his work on Black Panther uh, when he's good friends with Ryan Coogler. And I don't, don't think he knew the guy who did Venom. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Composers bring their best work when they're with directors. Well, look at Hans Zimmer and Christopher Nolan. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. people still listen to the Inception soundtrack. But hey, the score, the Tenet score was great, though. Ludwig, yeah, I do love Ludwig. I think Ludwig is really great talent. Mm-hmm. Um, but Marvel's already got him, so I, I can't really be like Marvel hire Ludwig because there's no way they're gonna get rid of him for Black Panther two, right? <laughs> he, right. He, he won an Oscar for the first one, <laughs> so. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. I, so yeah. Anyway, movie scores. There you go. <laughs> and next, we're gonna go. In the green room. Uh, you want to go first or should I go first? Um, I can go first. Uh, okay. So this week I watched, uh, drum roll please, Iron Man. And... Oh, <laughs> one of the segment is not to watch MCU movies, Tyler. I know. Well, okay. It was, it was actually an accident because I was looking up something in Iron Man. But then I started the movie playing. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to start watching the movie and wait till i answer my question and then the i ended up watching the whole movie after the credits do the i question was, the question wasn't answered until nick fury showed up after yeah credits. yeah exactly like, oh, i got there but uh but i mean regardless i i i did enjoy it and uh but there is a caveat that comes with that each time i watch this movie i want a better antagonist than what we get with obadiah and that's not a bash on Jeff Bridges, but more of a criticism on the writing of the Obadiah Stane character. He's more of an antagonist for the sake of the story needing an antagonist, and as such, it is not as believable. Um, and the stakes would have felt much higher if we would have seen a much more fleshed-out relationship between Obadiah and Tony. So make the audience root for the friendship then tear that friendship apart and make the audience pick a side. Uh, the, pain of the, be- the pain of the betrayal by Obadiah would actually be felt 
more in the third act, which leads me to my next point. The audience does not need to be spoon-fed plot points. If the protagonist and or supporting characters are not aware of the villain's motives, then we don't necessarily need a scene showing Obadiah meeting with the Ten Rings to steal the Mach 1 suit and kill them all. Yes, keep Obadiah's corporate power play to remove Tony from making decisions for the company, but leave the big villain reveal for when Pepper accesses the Stark ghost drive and finds the video of Tony's ransom. Um, that scene in particular, to me, it's it's very repetitive, and the audience already knows. We're like, yeah, we already know this, um, that uh, this that Obadiah is the bad guy behind all of this. But uh, yeah, Obadiah is supposed to be a mentor to Tony, but we don't really get that in this film. Um, in this case, I think less exposition would make for a stronger conflict and story. Um, so yeah, that's my popular, unpopular rant about <laughs> Iron Man. The movie is still, I mean, this is what kicked off the the MCU. So I have so, many I mean, responses, but I can't ha- make any of them because we're going to eventually make an hour long episode about Iron Man 1 at some point. Um, but I will say, Tyler, I want you to save this rant like in our document. So yeah. whenever we do get to Iron Man, I can address everything because I disagree with a lot. And, but I will agree with one thing right now, which is I think the phrase less exposition would make a stronger conflict in story is pretty much true for anything. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and I think a certain not Marvel director we just talked about a little, Christopher Nolan, would do very well to remember that uh, <laughs> in particular. Uh, yeah, I, I can't really say much about it because we'll, we'll we'll do something about this later. Yeah. Uh, but I'm glad you enjoyed watching it. I, I rewatched Iron Man 1 a few like I think last month too, so it's like I can't really be that mad because I I I don't think we'll be doing anything on Iron Man one for a while because I'd watched it recently and now you've watched it recently so maybe in twenty twenty three we'll finally cover it when Vision WandaVision season two comes out or something I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I think one I think something with Vision is really the oh well no we can do it for Ironheart or Armor Wars I like yeah I was gonna be like something with Vision is really the only time that's gonna be relevant again but we'll we'll get around to it I think probably more for Ironheart. Because I think Armor Wars is going to be more of a sequel to Iron Man 2 still. Yeah. But, yeah. So, what what um, did you see? I saw the, Maurita- the I saw the Mauritanian. Which I hope I didn't just butcher the pronunciation of that. But Mauritania is a country. So, if I screwed it up, uh, they can file a lawsuit against me uh, as a country. The Mauritanian is a film that is nominated... I, I like going through a lot of the Oscar nominees, the Golden Globe nominees. Even if it means I watch bad stuff like... I watched this. This is just a side. I'm not gonna talk about it. But I watched this awful Netflix movie, The Midnight Sky, this week also with George Clooney. I hated it, but it's nominated for like a Golden Globe for original score. So I was like, I guess I gotta watch it. I, I'm like very much a completionist in that point. Mm-hmm. This year I won't be because there's a movie that's nominated that you can only watch for twenty dollar rental, and it has a twenty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. And I'm just like, well, not this year, I guess. But I do try to get for most of them. And The Mortanian is nominated for best original well, not best original it's nominated for best actor uh for teha rahim i hope i pronounced his name right i think that's right um and then also best supporting actress with jodie foster who i'm sure is the name you recognize <laughs> yes uh yeah jodie foster icon uh even though i don't think she's well she's kind of on the line of being supporting and lead in this uh but i watched it's about um 
It's about Guantanamo Bay. Guantanamo Bay. God, I cannot pronounce anything right now. Uh, it's about Guantanamo Bay. Uh, and the Mauritanian is a uh, detainee there who they believe was the mastermind behind 9-11. However, they have no actual evidence of it. They just have someone else's sworn statement that he is the one who did it. Um, and I'm going to spoil the movie a bit, but it doesn't really matter because it's a true story, right? So it's you can look up all this on Wikipedia if you just look up the subject of the movie. Uh, is that the complication is that he did sign a con uh, confession, that he did all this stuff, but then they discover in sealed files that he gave he wrote this confession after like a year of sustained torture psychological like because you know Guantanamo Bay had a ton of it's an I war crimes <laughs> I'm not that's a that's a nervous laughter not a haha -ha funny laughter to be clear here but the reason I chose to talk about it for this podcast is none of that it's that Ben de Cumberbatch is also in this movie and he produced the movie and he inexplicably has this southern accent in it that is insane. He he sounds like Colonel Sanders in it. Uh, it's very funny. Tyler, are you there? Because you look frozen. Okay, so you're frozen. All right, I will explain the thing about Benedict Cumberbatch when we get Tyler back on. I'm going to hang up on him and call him back. So to me, beyond the uh, the two main actors in this, I would well, I want to discuss more the uh, Benedict Cumberbatches in this. He produced the movie, actually. And, uh, his accent in it, man, it's, uh, it's something. He sounds like Colonel Sanders. Uh, <laughs> it is, like, very over the top. And I think, well, obviously you know what Benedict Cumberbatch's American accent is, because you've seen, we, this is an MCU podcast, we've seen Doctor Strange. Yeah. Um, but yeah, imagine that, but, like, I'm going, like, I don't know. It's just very, very over. It's like uh, I believe in the military, and I believe in God, and I believe in yeah. You know, it's very. I don't want to. Honestly, I don't want to call it offensive, but it does sound like I'm trying to sound like a very stereotypical. Uh, you know what I mean? Like you just no, very, yeah. He's like, like he's like. I don't even know where his character lives. I think New Orleans. Um. Yeah, I think he's from Louisiana. I'm not sure. Mm. Uh, I did look up his real-life character afterwards, and he ended up going to work for uh, under the Trump administration, <laughs> and, under uh, Bill Barr. And I was like, well... And he's framed in the movie... Well, okay. I don't want to say he's framed as a hero, because he's not. The heroes are obviously the Mauritanian, because he... he ne The thing is, he never... He's constantly told... If you give us a different name, we'll let you go. And he's like, I'm not doing that because I'm not going to betray my people who I trust me and send them here. That's awful. Um, and then Jodie Foster is also here because she's the lawyer who takes his case pro bono. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch is the person who the government says, who the government's like, all right, this guy did 9-11. We want you to prosecute him. And he's like, yeah, I will. That's my duty. Uh, and this man is disgusting. I have a friend who was in the planes when it like it fell, when the towers fell, all that stuff, you know. And then he discovers throughout the movie, he's like, I can't prosecute this case because this, even if I did think it was this guy, the only testimony you have was after months of duress given to it that was pressured for him to give a confession. This is not like, you know, you can't use that in the court of law. 
Yeah. Uh, so it's, but it's like, he gets a big Oscar scene. And I want to point out that he's got an absolutely zero Oscar attention for this movie. The only person who's really getting attention is Jodie Foster because most of these awards bodies are pretty racist. You know, normally these people don't nominate non-white actors to be blunt. Like, I saw, I don't want to get too much into it, but I saw, like, a picture of, like, congrats to the women's nominated at the Golden Globes in acting. And it was, like, I think there were, like, two black women there and the rest were all white people. So I was pretty impressed for him to get now and he's good in the movie mm-hmm. uh, but my point is more that Benedict Cumberbatch despite being really famous and he has probably the third biggest role in this has gotten no attention because his accent is the thing that though was interesting was is that when his big Oscar scene got we got around to it I did get somewhat I thought he did a really good job with it I was like wow I guess the accent isn't too bad because I am buying his character at this point but it just took me so long to get into it yeah uh, but yeah um, the Mauritanian ultimately to me was just an okay movie. Um, it's pretty good if you don't know anything about Guantanamo. That's my thing is like, there's a lot of biopic movies or like, you know, historical fiction movies, not historical, you know, I mean, like movies about history that to me, like the movie's just okay, but I don't know about the history enough that I think it's still worth watching because it's a good way to get introduced to it. Uh, I thought actually a better movie that I almost talked about this week is Judas and the Black Messiah does a much better job of it, even though I also don't think it's wholly accurate. But that one did a better job of me wanting to actually look up the history. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, I got it. I, I think I got it from this, even though I don't think I fully got it. But I got I got what I needed out of the main character, who is the titular Mortanian. Um, Stahi is his name. But yeah, anyway, uh, if you want to know more about Guantanamo Bay, check out the Mortanian. Or rather, if you feel like you should be more informed about Guantanamo Bay, you should check out the movie. Otherwise, it's it's... It's okay. If you have HBO Max, check out Jesus and the Black Messiah. Uh, I won't talk much about it besides that, but that is a good, that's a better movie. Uh, but yeah, that's our In the Green Room talk this week. Alright, spoiler alert. From this point on, we will be discussing the latest episode of WandaVision and possible spoilers for future productions. We do not claim to have knowledge of said future spoilers, but we'll gladly take credit if it comes true. We will not address any leaks, but if our speculations align with said leaks, leaks, that is purely coincidental. So now we'll discuss WandaVision Episode 6, Breaking the Fourth Wall, looks directly at our listeners. So Tyler, my question for you is, did you enjoy the heavily rumored hour-long episode we were supposed to get this week? No. No. Um, in, Why not? In fact, in my uh, in my <laughs> weekly letter to Kevin Feige, I I told him that I I cried for an hour long, and that was a uh, symbol. Before you started the that episode, that was a symbol of me wanting an hour long episode. But just just for you seeing the thirty eight minute thing next to the episode on Disney Plus, you're like, no. Yeah, I, I stayed up. I stayed up uh, Thursday night until it was released. Get the sit for Disney Plus being down for an hour. <laughs> so I, at uh, one o'clock in the morning on Friday morning, I saw that it was thirty eight minutes, and then I spent an hour crying. So yeah. So and then you finally went to bed, and then I finally went to bed like a responsible <laughs> and then you adult. The the next yes. Too <laughs> betrayed. Okay, so uh, let's kick it off with. Wanda talks about purposefully opening or expanding the hex during her recap at the beginning of the episode. So a snip of last week's episode. Previously on WandaVision. 
A snip of last week's episode plays during that recall, and the song that plays during that time sounds eerily similar to the beginning of Sympathy for the Devil by the band The Rolling Stones. Um, so that's more an observation than anything with real gravity, because I don't think they used that actual song. But uh, you know, My favorite I, thing I, about Sympathy for the Devil is in regards to superhero movies is I whenever I hear um, this just this is just a quick joke, but it's something I always like pointing out is that in the the classic superhero film Suicide Squad, you know the one everyone loves. Oh yeah, um, they the play one, some the for the devil. Joker. <laughs> yeah, hey, we live in a society. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but okay, so in that movie they play some for the devil when they're like, we had Superman. Like Amanda Waller's like, we had Superman's funeral. But I never liked Superman, so it's like like it's implying that Superman is the devil, which I think is very funny. But anyway, oh my. the DC universe. Uh. <laughs> so that's that is more of an observation than anything with real gravity. Although I think it was intentional, or at least I hope it was. Um, could be a red herring, but I think after the Agnes reveal this week, I think we will get more of those next week. Wait, like. There was an Agnes reveal. What are you Spoilers. telling me? Are you telling me that it was Agatha all along? Boom. Missing <laughs> uh, that so, as much as I can. This episode. <laughs> re- so, like, yeah, reveals are, after all, a big part of this show. So, uh, anyways, unless, that was more of just an you're opening stuck in a note. car the whole episode. Yeah, but unless you at a red light. But uh, <laughs> the, so the boys are fighting in the living room, and Wanda walks down the stairs, and she goes to the fridge and pulls out milk from Westview Dairy, which of course Westview is the name of this fictional town in this in the hex. So uh, I know that in an earlier episode we wondered about the whereabouts of all the kids, but what about the cows, Danny? What about the cows? Where where are they I, I, getting their food? Uh, well, I mean, maybe Agatha's making it for it because it was her all along. But <laughs> I like how. Sorry, first before I do have a response, but I do want to point out that first before I think it's really funny how remember when Evan Peters was revealed and we were just like we can't talk about this till the end. Yeah. But this week I'm just gonna be like, well, this is Agatha, so <laughs> <laughs> we gave the spoiler warning. We could just go for it. Who cares? Um. But I actually think um, this is to actually not really related, but it is because you mentioned the boys, and I know this isn't in our outline. I think it's really interesting how like the boys were like the solution last week, right? Yeah, the boys were honestly the one who did, I, I I had to be like the boys did this because they actually didn't. It was Wanda who's Wanda's powers that expanded the hex, but Wanda's power Wanda wouldn't have known Vision had left if it wasn't for the boys, right? Yeah, uh, the boys, right? They're the ones who uh, saved Vision last week. And yet this week they're just like, I wonder why Dad isn't here. So we kind of got a memory wipe from them for once. Whereas I don't feel like we did before, which I thought was interesting. Because mm-hmm. before I thought the boys really couldn't be manipulated by um, Wanda, right? Yeah. Uh, but I think the boys in general are very interesting. Stuff. So they're also the one. They also figure out. They're really the ones who, even though Agatha reveals it to Wanda, uh, one of the one of them who I don't remember which one has which power, but the one who can read minds is like your mind is not covered with my mom's voice in distress. Mm-hmm. What the heck? Yeah, your um, your so mind is quiet. We really get the quiet. reveal from him. Yeah, 
But yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know where the cows are. <laughs> <laughs> Answer the uh, question, Danny. What what about the cows? But uh, all right. so the cereal is named Sugar Snaps, which is very coincidental that Wanda eats these given that she was snapped away by Thanos in Infinity War, a time in the MCU that was very consequential for Wanda. I mean, that's also when Vision was killed. Um so so yeah, you do you have any notes on that? Yeah, I think uh I think that that makes sense. I think it's definitely called sugar snaps because of the Thanos snaps. It doesn't really make any sense otherwise. I I do want to point out that the sugar snaps and the milk are both generic products cuz to me like I guess we could hypothetically say that sugar snaps is like one of the products in the commercials, right? Where it's not really meant to be a generic product. Mm-hmm. But to me, also, sugar snaps just sounds like something I'd find in Walgreens that's significantly cheaper than the other cereals. Right. Like, it does, and it looks like a generic box too. But meanwhile, the kids clearly play with like a GameCube controller and a Wii remote at one point. Uh, and then also at the end, Yogavagava is on the TV, and I, particularly Yogavagava stood out to me because Yogavagava, like, it was. I think Yogavagava was like a meme at one point, but it's also just like, it's like besides Teletubby, it is quintessential, really young children's television. So the idea of uh, Agatha being like, "All right, let's watch TV together," putting on Yo Gabba Gabba right. for ten year olds is just hysterical to me. Uh, like, well, I think that is what like and Wanda think- should have been like. Wait a second. Why are you showing my children Yo Gabba Gabba? They're way too old for that. Think about how much <laughs> of a downgrade um, Agnes is for these boys compared to Uncle Pietro last week, who was like, or even just like even Wanda. Wanda's like. Yeah, they're playing video games, but now you gotta <laughs> now you gotta go watch Yo Gabba Gabba with your babysitter, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually did also like during the video game sequence. I, we don't have this right now. I like that their games became Uno cards at one point. Yeah, I, so, I appreciate. They look so too. disappointed by that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, I agree with you on the sugar snaps thing. But I, I want more. I wish we could just talk whole day about Yo Gabba Gabba. Uh, but yeah, I, um, to jump ahead a little bit, uh, if it seems like I'm not really responding to Tyler's points this episode, it's because, uh, spoiler alert for my opinion of this episode that I'll get into more later on is, I think this was the closest this show had to a filler episode, and I hate the term filler episode, but I really think, at least for Wanda and Vision, this was one. Uh, but I'll get more into that later on. And that's kind of where I probably I disengaged this episode a lot because it was just like we sh- this is it felt like a, it's a transition episode to the third act. Yeah, that is what this episode is. This is a hopefully the next two episodes give us the payoff we need. This is more setting up the stuff we need to have set up for the payoff. But it's disappointing because last week felt like that too. Mm-hmm. But last week at least had us the novelty of Petro being there and Vision being very proactive. Which, uh, 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 vision this episode, but we'll get to him. So the, uh, the intro, yeah. the intro to me felt like the intro of the office. And we also get a gym esque moment with vision later in the episode, which was a great moment. It, I'll give that it was a great, that was a good moment. I, I loved moment. it. The, the gym face. But, uh, <laughs> I also love the awkwardness of vision first talking to Darcy when it, like to Darcy, it looked. It sounds like Vision is uh, hitting on her, 
and she's like, um, hard pass. But uh, I think uh, I think the sitcom on this episode is very vague, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, because someone pointed out to me, and I pointed out to you, is that the theme song is not The Office. Yeah, it's actually Happy Endings, which is a cult. I think it has a cult following. It was a. I don't think it's a family sitcom. It's more like a friends like sitcom, where it's like a bunch of people in their thirties just hanging out together. Uh, it aired on ABC with Modern Family, which is what I think this episode is more intended to parry than The Office because it's a family sitcom. Well, and it's also ABC, ABC which is yeah, owned yeah, by that Disney. synergy, you know, yeah. that synergy. Uh, but yeah, although I think uh, I someone also pointed out to me, I was like, oh yeah, I can see it. Is that the vision segments of the episode, specifically the scenes in the car, felt a lot like in terms of writing and in sound effects because that's the thing is. Office and Modern Family don't really do wacky sound effects. I don't know mm-hmm. about Happy Endings because I've never seen it. Yeah. But you know what did that also had a kind of documentary style at the time in Zoom was Arrested Development, uh, which aired around the same time as Malcolm in the Middle, which is why I'm very kind of like not sure if this is meant to be Arrested Development. Yeah. I really like Arrested Development, though. So I was like, yeah, I guess. I don't really want to say they were parroting Arrested Development because then they failed. Because <laughs> it's not as nearly as funny as Arrested Development. Um, it's also not cynical enough to be Arrested Development to me. But my point is more, I think a lot of people just use the office as shorthand for the for that documentary style. style. Yeah, because yeah, it did popularize the style, even though it did exist beforehand mm-hmm. in a lot of, especially in a lot of uh, European sitcoms. Uh, that I'm like my I know I don't really watch them, but I've been at friends' places where my friends are really into like British sitcoms, um, which is where the and office, obviously the Office came, yeah, parody from, or not parody, yeah. but yeah, it's a remake of a UK sitcom. But yeah, um, the episode sitcom elements were kind of vague, uh, but I did put down in my notes that if the, we look at the theme song as a parody of Happy Endings. I'm pretty sure this show isn't going to have one. Bum, bum, bum. So Wanda talks with the kids and flips the television to look at the weather forecast, which coincidentally says sunny with a chance of clouds. And that proves to be very false, though, when it is raining while Darcy and Vision work their way back to Wanda. Um, All I got to say is there is that if I got to look at the weather forecast now and I saw sunny with a chance of clouds, I'd be like, Thank God. We are covered in snow here. Look at how bored Danny is with the episode. He's talking about how bad the weather is in Chicago. <laughs> watching watching it through the second time, That's I actually paused to see what the TV was saying, which I just want to say, I've not done that with the show before, but there are, in this show, something that this show has done really well is um, build, building out the world to reflect the universe that it's set in and also adding a ton of little Easter eggs in there too, which is something I've really, really liked. I have a question actually about the television moment. Now that I'm thinking about it, are you, was this when she was like, so when she first talks with the, with the boys, so was the, were the, was the TV switching through eras or was this, this was before then. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The boys are still Um, at the house. Okay. Yep. Um, All right. So, well, in, in that same moment, the twins ask about uh, Uncle P, who, by the way, is not seen in the episode until the mid-credit scene. Uh, he was in Agatha all along. Do do. 
And Wanda tells the twins that man. Did you hear my dog barking? I did. Yeah. Okay, hold on. Maybe, maybe that was maybe that was for the Agatha uh, all the song. along. Bark, Your bark. dog is singing along with the. All right, we can just keep going. He's not gonna. <laughs> he told me might start again, but it's like okay, it's whatever, you know. Um. So Wanda tells the twins that man is not your uncle. I'm still very interested in who this Pietro really is and what he's doing, what he was actually doing well, this whole episode. We might be getting ahead here, but I thought I saw in the Agatha Long song, I thought I saw him being like made out of Agatha's mystical purple stuff, but. I can't tell if that means yeah. he's literally an apparition, Agav- Agatha. Because here's the thing: is that if that is true, to me, I'd be curious about why she needs Wanda if she can create life. You know what I mean? Like, that's a yeah, yeah. I don't know what you need besides being able to create life <laughs> as a power. That's a bit overpowered. So I'm kind of iffy on if that is what Pietro is too. I don't think he's just a manifestation of Agatha. Because also, if well, we can talk more mm-hmm. about that later. Um, but I do like that Wanda knows that it's not uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson. That's good. I think immediately following this is when Agatha shows up and is like, Oh, I'll take care of the kids. Uh, I refuse to call her Agnes anymore, sorry. Uh, <laughs> she's Agatha. It was her all, it, She was Agatha all along, okay? She's, she was never Agnes. She was Agatha all along. Uh, uh, but yeah, uh best line of the episode is when agatha pops up there and she's like i actually bit a dog once or ate what'd she say no she a bit a child once foreshadowing but uh wanda also mentions that the twins inherited tough skin like visions vibranium composition which the reason why uh for all of you listeners the reason why i said composition uh, the way that I did is because Danny made a deal out of it earlier because he said you could just say well, skin, but when I think of composition, I think of colors. So oh, gotcha. I hate to point it out, but these children are not pink and green. Uh, you're wrong, Tyler. <laughs> they don't have their composition. So, it, anyways, uh, that just yeah, I was curious about that point. Um, I know what she was saying uh, is that these kids are tough; they'll get over it, but. I wonder if they really truly if they truly inherited tough skin, do they also have a little bit of vibranium comp like uh skin to them and also think about uh the twin who can run fast. You know? <laughs> I just think the idea of these kids being genetically related to vision is ridiculous. Speaking of vision's body, Hayward <laughs> wants vision for his body. Um Obviously, he's he's wanting it for. We all want vision for his body type. Well, Wanda does. Um, so how bad needs a whole. Especially with that makeup. Do what? That cape. Oh, that that cape though. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> really, to me, that's just a reiteration of what we saw last week. The. See, the thing with the sword storyline is it doesn't really feel like it's moving along. It feels like it's just restating stuff that we figured out the episode last week. So, Hey, hey Tyler. Yeah. Hey, Tyler, um, I hate to say it, but that was pretty much this whole episode <laughs> in general. It wasn't just the sword stuff this time <laughs> until the very end. I think you've, you've I... got a note on that, don't you? Yeah, we'll move on right now to it. So since we've been talking about Vision a lot... 
I hated his plot this episode. I hated it. Um, and I was really glad because now, because last week I explained to you guys what plot blocking was, and now I can actually talk about it in a much bigger detail. Last week. <laughs> <laughs> Someone uh someone paid me on Venmo. Uh that was that pretty was. funny. <laughs> um, so plot blocking. Anyway, last week I talked about plot blocking and how plot blocking is the um the idea that what was the example I used last week? I can't actually remember. I did I had an example like within the episode of plot blocking. I think it was with the sword stuff. Yeah, no, it was with the sword stuff. So the sword stuff, right? It was the aerospace engineer. Is that if it was a movie, we just immediately cut to her getting whatever she yeah. needed from the aerospace engineer. But instead, we had to use all of last week her being like, "I think Hayward doesn't agree with me." Like, okay, we got that already from episode four. Um, this is episode six. This week, the vision up subplot was so much more a waste of time like that. So. He sees Darcy, who he locked eyes with last week, which I actually didn't catch last week. But you know what? Sure. I'll take it. Um, it's kind of cool that Vision actually can remember that, because I thought he wasn't going to remember yeah. it. Um, which would have been even worse plot blocking. Um, but he sees Darcy, who's brainwashed, and he's like, Excuse me, can you talk to me? Excuse me. Uh, I think you're this person. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm just like, Vision, you literally snapped these people out of their trance twice in this show already you know this is the power you have why are you just trying to talk to her why why are we wasting our time yeah. here you know she is brainwashed just just do it and then he does but it took him like three minutes to remember that and it's just like okay and then he gets into a car with darcy and he's like i'll explain things on the way and it's like all right if we saw him actually getting the exposition and being like huh all right so this is my life that's kind of crazy it would be a re okay at least that would serve as a recap, right? For people who might be watching the show and not remember all of Vision. But we skip all that. And instead we deal with them being stuck in a traffic light for like six minutes. And it's just them being like, I don't think Wanda wants us to come back. But then Vision somehow remembers at the end of the episode, like, oh yeah, I have, I can fly. It's a superpower I have. And it's just like, what? Like, his entire episode, his inti- literally his episode, his plot this episode is just, oh, I forgot I can do this thing that we've established several times in this show itself that I can do mm-hmm. it. Um, and we're just wasting our time. And it's, this entire episode feels like a time waste, but at least with the Wanda stuff, it's like her just being like, I want to take a break from it. Like there is, it's character motivated laziness. In this case, it's just vision being unnecessarily dumb. So he can't be there at the end when Wanda meets up with Agatha. Right. That that is literally what it is. That is why this. That's why the plot blocking is here. It's because we need someone to be able to go see snap Wanda out of whatever Agatha is doing to her next week, and it's going to be Vision. Right. It's very obvious that's what's going to happen. Um, that's why Vision isn't there because Vision would never let Wanda go of her mm-hmm. in the first place. Um, I mean, we gotta we gotta but, remember Vision is from Jarvis who helped Tony Stark build an like element. I like that was mentioned this episode. You know, yeah, I like they I did like they, that they mentioned Yeah, I, did, I like that too. I feel like Jarvis is often forgotten. Like they mentioned Ultron a lot and they mentioned of course Tony, but it's not really Tony, it's Jarvis which Tony created. Mm-hmm. It's not really Tony itself who made Vision. It's the Jarvis algorithm that Tony made before the show even made like you know before Iron Man even happened. Right. Uh 
I should have asked you for your Jarvis takes on Iron Man 1. I guess that would have been relevant to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, plot blocking sucks. And it's a big reason why this episode sucks. Because I I have the opinion... And this is actually a hot take. Because I know most people like Elizabeth Olsen more. And I think Elizabeth Olsen is great in this show. I think she was great in this episode. She was the highlight of this mm-hmm. episode. I think Paul Bettany has been the overall highlight of the show, though. Um... Because he's frequently the funniest part, and he has the best—he sells the best drama. And I think he's the funniest part of this episode too. Uh, and I think the script lets him down even on the jokes. I think what is good about his jokes is um, his uh, what do you call it? Yeah, his facial and the zoom uh, like on his face is really funny too. And it's just very—it's good. Um, it's shame that everything else about his stuff this week is really bad. Yeah. Yeah, one disappointing thing was when we finally find out who the aerospace engineer is, and one not a scroll. So yeah, my theory. Hey, but thank God it's not John. Krasinski. Sad face, <laughs> right? But uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it was just kind of like this aerospace engineer, and I don't know if we ever really got a name. It was. Uh, yeah, it was on her uniform. Yeah, and it's in the credits. I looked it up. It's nobody. Uh, to me, what was weird about it is more that like they made such a big deal. I don't know about why it. you wouldn't just mention her? Yeah, like it's clearly designed to be like a big reveal, and then it isn't. Yeah. Um, and obviously, the show was designed for weekly episodes, so it's like they know people. Like as soon as you go, I know a guy, and you don't say who it is, you know they're gonna speculate. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not like a geek property like this, they're gonna be like, huh, I wonder who that is. And it's just a nobody. Uh, it's very... It's weird. That's what I'm going to say. It's weird. Uh, and I also want to say, uh, right now, uh, just as a side note, because everyone was mad it wasn't Reed Richards, is that I hate the idea of John Krasinski as Reed Richards. It's a horrible idea. I like the idea the internet has now banded behind that isn't John Krasinski, which is William Jackson Harper. Uh, I just want that on the record, <laughs> in case we get fantastic forecastings, which I don't think we will for a while. Yeah. But if it's John Krasinski, you're gonna have to deal with me ranting. But the other thing I would say is, uh, we don't know necessarily if it's not a scroll yet. You know. That's true. There's a decent chance that it could still be a scroll. Yeah. Yeah, aerospace engineer was a big fat nothing. <laughs> yep. Yep. But hey, I wish, I wish, I wish, with the meta nature of this show at points, I wish we'd gotten. That's the thing to me. More, it's not that it's a nobody. It's that the show doesn't seem to be aware that it's was something that people would be thinking about. And mm-hmm. I think that's very odd, seeing how this fourth episode, like, had that in-joke of, like, why hexagons? Why sitcoms? Like, it... Because that is what that... Like, very bluntly, that was designed to be something where, like, these are audience surrogates to what people would have been doing online with yeah. the show. And it because did a good are... job, because people were doing that. Yeah. We are all Jimmy Woo. Yeah, well, yeah. I feel like it would have been... It could if the show was aware of this, I don't know why it doesn't be like, Jimmy Woo would be like, so who are you? And he'd just be like, oh, I'm this person. She's like, huh. And he'd just be like, huh, I was expecting something more. You know what I mean? Like, even that would have made this go down a bit better. Because yeah. I'm personally not mad that it's a uh, airspace. I think it's silly to be like, wow, this wasn't a big name person. How dare this show do that? When I guess it wasn't explicitly promised. I just think it's weirdly unaware of the show. Yeah. Gloss over yeah. it. Yeah, I'm not necessarily like, oh man, we needed we needed another uh, comic book character to come out because we've actually got we've got a lot of we've got a lot of big characters coming out of, or out of the comics onto the screen in this 
in this series. But for them to make such a big deal about it, I just I thought that it was it was weird. Um, so, but hey, Monica has powers. Yay! Best scene of the episode. We, well, okay, actually not. It's not about scene of the episode. Uh, okay, immediate retraction. <laughs> but we'll get to the best scene later. Uh, but second best scene of the episode, uh, which is actually kind of interesting because to me, like, this scene was really great, and the other scene from about was really great, and the rest of the episode was just a wet fart. Uh, <laughs> but like, yeah, I think it's interesting that it was like that to me because I was expecting a. Uh, you know something different I, from it yeah i liked i liked hearing uh did you notice that when she was walking when monica was walking through the hex to enter the hex again there was a lot of the archive uh, audio. audio yeah archive audio from captain marvel yeah i really liked like that i yeah, thought that entire sequence too. was very well done um mm-hmm. i thought the eyes were a little cheesy at the end but i'm okay with it because i think it will look better when it's on a movie like in a movie, those yeah. eyes. And I also was relieved when it was like her eyes aren't permanent with those contacts now. It's just going to be when she uses her power. So I was like, okay, cool. I thought that scene was very well done. Um, I think maybe the lead up is a bit bad. I don't. I think the show has this weird issue with Monica. Um, and it's not Tiana Paris's fault at all. It's the writing. Is that we are told that she's like, I really trust Wanda. But yet. I feel like there was a missed opportunity, particularly in episode four, which was the flashback, to not give us her perspective of being in the hex and hearing Wanda's voice in her head. Uh, because the big speculation back then was, is like, oh, she just said she. Uh, maybe it's Agnes's voice she hears in her head. So I was like, okay, so that's why we don't hear it. But now we know for a fact it was Wanda that mm-hmm. she heard in her head. So it's like, why didn't we get that um, perspective of her being kind of in the sunken place as to say... Um, cause I think that would do a lot more of me being able to buy her wanting to ally with Wanda. And I feel like, and I hope in the future, I felt like, so they have the huge confrontation scene later. We don't have it in our notes, so we can talk about it a bit now cause we're talking about Monica. Yeah. Um, I felt like it was weirdly underplayed both by the script and by Paris. Uh, cause here's the thing is like the show is about grief trademark pending uh (laughs) the show is about grief right and that was my big rant a few weeks ago is that i think they could emotionally hit a climax that's really good if this all comes together but the thing is is like i felt like her encountering wanda should have been somewhat of that climax is that she should be more emotional she left her mom three weeks ago Mm -hmm. and she's just like i had grief i have grief too it's like do you? Because you've compartmentalized this to the point where I understand why Wanda doesn't trust you. Because it's like, I feel like, and I get the idea is that she's working through it, right? She's working through this by distracting herself of her work. But she can't be like, Wanda, empathize with me if she has completely repressed her emotion to it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, because then, then you lose that empathy. Yeah. You- which is what she's trying to use to reach out to Wanda. Yeah, but her just being like, yeah, I'm sad too, with like the exact amount of empathy. Like, like, like I basically, I won't be like, I delivered it just like she did. But you know, like, that is the impression I get, is just like, like I'm mm-hmm. sad too, Wanda. It's like, are you? Because you don't seem very 
broken up about this. And moreover, even if you are broken up about this, I, I don't mean to be like, let's compare grief. But like, so let's see, let's see what we got here. Let's, let's lay it out again on the table. Uh, she, her parents died. Yep. She was taken in by a neo-Nazi group who then did scientific experiments on her that could kill her. Mm-hmm. She then escaped uh, with her brother, got taken in by a murderous robot who betrayed them. So they wanted them dead. Also was uh, the whole time dealing with being in close proximity to what her and Pietro considered to be the murderer of her parents in Tony Stark. Yes. Uh, I'm getting to that, but yes. But then before that even happens, her brother dies. Right. <laughs> for this rando who then immediately goes back home to... I mean, I get... Okay, I'm not going to go that far because I think Hawkeye and Wanda are friends. I still think if we have an Avengers cameo in this, it's going to be... Besides Doctor Strange, it's going to be Jeremy Renner. But anyway, uh, so her brother dies for this rando, Archer. Then, as you said, she has to hang out with the murderer of her. Her, uh, pers- her parents forgot a bit. Who then votes to imprison her under house arrest after she accidentally murders people. Yeah. And all of her friends... Uh, and her person who she has a crush on is okay with this because it's... I hate to point out, but the murderer of your parents is the father of your husband in a way. They did. Like, that's just the way it is. Um, Hashtag comic book things. I know, right? Uh, <laughs> so then... Uh, she goes on the run. The thing is, people forget about it, is that Vision was tracked by Tony Stark, and he goes offline mm-hmm. at points, and Tony's eventually okay with that. But that means they have to steal moments. They can't really have a life together, because Vision does have to report back. We just don't see that in the time between Infinity War and Civil War. You know what I mean? Yeah. Reverse that. Uh, so they can't really find love that way. And then as soon as they seem to, like, Vision's like, yeah, I might run away if you Wanda. He is immediately... Attacked by Thanos' people. Within a couple of days, Wanda has to kill him. See him come back to life and kill him again. And that's mentioned in the episode to mm-hmm. Vision. Yeah. Um, so that's a big moment too. And then immediately after that, before she can process the trauma, she loses five years of her life. Comes back. Discovers that the murder of her... The murder of her uh, children are dead. The murder of her parents are dead. And she's like, oh, I guess I gotta mourn this guy. Womp womp. Um... Ignoring the fact that nobody seems to care about Vision being dead except for Hawkeye, who again immediately goes back home to live with his family, who he just got back. He, he, he gets his family back, she doesn't. And then, in this episode, we discover she's like, oh, Hayward wants him for my body, his body. Well, we discover that she learned that Vision has been kidnapped and been tried to be brought offline without her permission. Mm-hmm. And it's like, let's compare this to how we see Monica in this. Is She lost her mom, which is, I don't want to... I don't want to deny that. That is horrible tragedy. It's very sad. But we don't see her deal with it, right? Yeah. And whereas Wanda, this entire show, has been very clearly been dealing with the grief and trying to make up with it. And with Monica, we saw it initially in episode four, but then since then she has kept it repressed deep down, and we need to bring it back up. That's the real issues. It needs to come back, and it hasn't. Right. Um, that's my rant about... I don't even know how this came up. Uh, really. I know we're talking about Monica, but I, it's just like, yeah. I like the visuals in the scene where she got our powers. Mm-hmm. We can go back to that a bit. Yeah, the sequence was good. 
Yeah, I liked uh, uh, when she lands on the ground when she confronts superhero Wanda, landing. and she yeah, did the superhero landing. I really I like that. Uh, I wanted to move on to the commercial, which made so much more sense this week. So the commercial is made. Er, the commercial is about a medicine named Nexus. In the comic, in the comics, Nexus is related to the Nexus of all realities, which is a pathway to any and all realities. And it's very clear this show is about different, like different realities and realities um, warping into each other. Uh, so I just I thought that it was finally we had a commercial that seemed relevant. I mean, watch at the very end, the final episode, all of the all the commercials. Well, last week's episode. I was going to say, I think the commercials have been, I think, was good. Yeah, last week's yeah. felt like a very revealing one to me. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, but no. I wanted episode four was pretty good because we didn't get one. <laughs> so, so yeah, I uh, just wanted to talk about that. And I wonder, well, I think this this commercial would serve as the introduction of the nexus of all realities into the MCU, which doesn't really do anything to to us nex- necessarily but is agatha uh, related to the nexus or have you not looked at them i don't know i don't know uh the nexus is like a a place like a physical but has Ag- yeah. my point is like is agatha has agatha been to that place you know what oh I mean? yeah i see what you're saying yeah maybe agatha is using the nexus to do what she's doing so yeah it's like uh, the world between worlds in Star Wars, and we all know that this podcast should be about two things: Star Wars and Yo Gabba Gabba. Right. <laughs> uh, I actually want to say one other thing about the commercial, which I think is interesting, is we didn't mention it, and uh, I don't, you didn't mention it either. Uh, is Darcy says that the broadcast is offline for WandaVision? Um, oh yeah, and that makes me wonder. Okay, well. I read a funny theory, which I could see being true, which is that the um, it's offline because uh, we are at the part of like time in television history where shows aren't really broadcast anymore on cable uh, over airwaves; they are now all digital. Yeah, so that might be why. And I kind of like that theory. But my question is more: is like, okay, so if these are offline, where do these commercials exist? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If nobody is watching these commercials. How, what is the reality that these commercials come from? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I thought that was kind of a interesting. Yeah, thing. that's a good. That's a good point. Uh, what did but, you, yeah. What did you think about the basement? Where it was Agatha all along. Uh, the basement was cool. I think the Agatha reveal kind of overshadows it a ton. Yeah. I did think the architecture. My initial thought was both with the book that we're going to talk about soon. Mm-hmm. Uh. And the architecture was like, it felt very Doctor Strange to me. And I know Agatha is meant to be a witch. Yeah. And obviously Doctor Strange is a sorcerer. So I'm curious how they... Because we haven't really gotten to the magic hierarchy in the MCU. Mainly because Doctor Strange is the only movie to actually address the magic elements of the MCU. Yeah. So I'm curious how witches fall into it. Or if we're going to outright have her say, like, uh, you might think I'm a witch, but I'm a, I'm a sorcerer. Like, you know... Uh, I think the idea of Agatha, if it is Doctor Strange connected, I think the idea of this being a pocket dimension is much more viable. 
because we have a lot of in Doctor Strange one we have the mirror dimension right yeah I feel like this episode of our podcast is very much being like yeah I agree because again I'm not really excited about this episode until what we're about to get to uh, but yeah I, I got Doctor Strange vibes which is again I think it's very possible at the end of the show Doctor Strange or Hawkeye pop up if uh, Avenger I want I want to put it that way if if an Avenger shows up. Because I think we will get another big cameo on this show, which we're also going to talk about later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that big cameo cannot be an Avenger. It's a separate cameo. Yeah. yeah. So it will be either Doctor Strange or Hawkeye, and this got me more on the Doctor Strange train. Which also, of course, makes sense because we know uh, Wanda's going to be Multiverse of Madness. So now I'm curious if Catherine Hahn will be. But I guess that depends on where these episodes play out. Mm-hmm. I do hope Catherine Hahn, this is not her only MCU appearance. She should be recurring. Uh, yeah, I um, do too. I, I have I have a ship already because you know how people a few weeks ago were like we ship uh, Wanda. No, we we ship Wanda Vision, of course. Uh, but people were like we ship uh, Jimmy and Darcy. I'm on the new ship of Agatha times Loki. Mm. Uh, times not X Loki times Loki. Uh, I, I think they'd be cute together. Uh, chaotic energy, yes, give it to me. Cavern Hahn and Tom Hiddleston kiss. <laughs> Keeping the kissing noises, Tyler. Don't cut them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, what is what is the book that's on that that pedestal? I think it might be a spell book. That's the source of the hex's hex's power. Um, that's just a theory, I saw, I saw, obviously. I did see but... a theory on my my one my brief checking of the discourse, which would be worth mentioning. It's just that so in Doctor Strange there are spell books, right? Obviously, because yeah. that's how Doctor Strange learns. He reads a bunch of books. And those books, guess where they are held in the sanctum? sanctum. Guess, guess what they are held in? Uh, they're in containers that are shaped like hexagons. Dun, dun, dun! I don't know. Were they really, um, were they really, um, planning for WandaVision back in 2016? I doubt it. Yeah. Uh, but it is possible that, um, that might be where the hexagon idea came from was looking at dr strange but we don't she could be someone like morda you know what i mean yeah Who, oh that's what, true was a sorcerer and it might just be like she calls herself a witch now mm-hmm. um because that's also that's a very that, north american thing too yeah and the thing that's also worth discussing particularly the architecture and relating to the book is that the architecture there does not look like agatha created it to me it looked old Mm-hmm. So perhaps Westview was always like a home of like magic and stuff. True. 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 Yeah. Uh, so now we can talk about the best scene ever. Is that it was Agatha all along. So the song shows that Agatha is responsible for Evan Peters showing up instead of Aaron Taylor Johnson. But is Agatha responsible for Evan Peters having super speed? Is this multiverse Quicksilver? Or is Evan Peters really Mephisto disguised as Pietro? Because one of Mephisto's powers is super speed. You know my opinion on uh, the idea of Evan Peters being Mephisto. Yeah. But I think we've already got past the point of fake Pietro being a thing. Although, okay, I guess not. There's always a possibility that when the hex is lifted, this Evan Peters is like, yo, what just happened? You know, like, he mm-hmm. brainwashed too. I guess we won't know unless Vision tries to snap him out, you know? Yeah. Um, That's true. We've, uh, and with the mid credit scene positioning characters where they are, Vision's 
en route to uh to <laughs> that place flop lock the whole episode. right <laughs> but, go on. Uh. But, but yeah no i mean vision is on his way so there could be a possible yeah uh vision snapping evan peters out of it or vision trying to snap evan peters out of it and evan peters is just like yo dude give me your soul and i'll give you a life outside of the hex but hubba hubba <laughs> uh or Agatha might be trying to summon Mephisto. That kind of that kind of went up. Uh, that I that could be I was yeah. Thinking. Um, using Wanda's power to summon him. Yeah. Uh, maybe Mephisto's dead. She, she wants to raise him from the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of which, speaking of dead, uh, I asterisk dead. Uh, <laughs> I want to talk about uh, Agatha. So we see in the song we see, we get very overly campy reveals of where she's been and doing stuff right mm-hmm. uh, i love it i love how campy it is it's so over the top i love it but so okay so on halloween agatha tells vision that he was dead and it's pretending to be someone who's trapped in the hex i'm really curious about the motive here because that to me means that she wants vision out of the hex mm-hmm. uh maybe she thinks vision will stop will be onto her i guess that would be it uh because notice that also last episode, Petro, who we now know is allied with Agatha in some way, um, Petro is constantly distracting Wanda to the point that the kids need to tell her that Vision is trying to escape. And that's why I think Petro is in last week's episode, because Agatha wants Vision to escape. But I don't know why. And I don't know if Agatha knows that Vision has escaped. Like, Agatha might think Vision is out, as far as we know. It's not really clear, and I'm really curious about how specifically her telling on Halloween that she, he's a dead Avenger. I'm curious how that ties in. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, but again, this is kind of like um, I'm surprised that um, so this kind of has the same issue as last week's ending, on uh, in a way, because last week's ending ended with the episode's plot not being resolved, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it just ended on like oh, a cliffhanger I think this week is the same thing but this week I am much more forgiving of it because the song is so fun it is an absolute banger put it on Spotify it single handedly justified the use of theme songs in this show because in my opinion actually most of the songs have been really forgettable but this song was so catchy you can bang your head to it it reminded me of um the Monsters uh, the Monsters theme song which I'm not actually uh, TV show. It's a sitcom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a sitcom. Um, and I think also the, the lettering for Agatha all along reminds me of like that in the Addams Family. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also, the reason I, I don't, I never watched The Monsters as a kid. I don't know if you, were you in Theater 101 when, uh, no, you weren't I never, yet. I did not, no, yeah, no, I no, didn't yeah, take I forgot your transfer. Yeah. So we did Adam's Family the year before you showed up. Uh, and we had to write, I, I know so much about the Addams Family and the Monsters because of it. Uh, basically, the Adams family was woke, and the Monsters family is broke. Go Adams, Monsters suck. Hey. But I know the Monsters theme song because of the Uma Thurman song by Fallout Boy, mm-hmm. which I don't really like. Fallout Boy, right? I think they're a really overrated band, but I like Uma Thurman. That's like the one song by them I like, and it's because it samples the Monsters theme, and it's really like a, it's very surfer, bro. I love it, and the Agatha all along reminds me of the Monsters theme. Uh, like it's a do 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 like that's what Agatha Long sounds like, right? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I have it single-handedly justified the show's existing uh, by playing Agatha all along. 
uh, I forgive it for this week's ending. I don't forgive it for the plot block and the vision, but I'll forgive the ending because it gave us the absolute wonder of Catherine Hahn being like, and she killed, and I killed Sparky too. <laughs> Cut to credits. What a great moment. That was ruined by our next thing that we're going to talk about. Before we move on, though, I do want to mention that it's just really silly that we're talking about this like a reveal. Because, you know, we outright said on this podcast once that we don't want to talk about the Agatha Harkness thing. Because everyone was talking about that literally for the moment that Catherine Hahn was cast as a character named Agnes. Uh, And I don't think anyone is surprised by this. I am a little bit. Because, as I said, last week... When we thought, when Agatha was like, oh, I'm crazy, blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I'm stuck here. I legitimately believed her because I would th- I would have thought Vision would have noticed mm-hmm. that she was just acting. Um, it makes sense that, like, it goes every way. Like, I, I can't be like, this doesn't make any sense because it's what the character's been shown to be. Um, but then also it's like, you know, in the previous episode we'd seen um, her, like, going, can we do that from the top? And she looked terrified when she said that. So there's a lot to be answered there, but my point is more that, you know, everyone was talking about it being Agatha Harkness for, like, months, so, like, why are we treating this like a reveal other than it being a really catchy song? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so that mid-credit scene, we finally see Evan Peters. Um, I will say we never get hard confirmation that Evan Peters and Agatha are working together necessarily. Uh, What did you think of Uncle P confronting Monica? Well, it kind of goes in what I want to talk about, which is that this sucked. This scene sucked. Uh, And it kind of goes with... Well, I'll get into... I want us to talk about post-credit scenes in general, but I can respond to this first on its own before we get into that side discussion. Uh, I think this sucks in the same way last week's ending sucked, in that we saw Vision be saved by the Hex, but we didn't get to see his reaction to being saved. In this, we just saw... Let's just recap the scene for people who somehow missed, if they missed it somehow. Uh, Monica looks at Agatha's house and goes, This place looks weird. She doesn't actually say that. She snoops around a bit. And then Evan Peters is like, What you looking at? No, he says, Super Snooper's gonna snoop, which is like, Okay... And then it cuts to black, and it's just like, all right, okay, so here's the, here's, okay. Do you want, do you want to respond more before I get into, like, my dissertation on post-credit scenes? Because I have thoughts. I feel, I think this, this scene should have actually been placed in the episode. Yeah, that's, It should have yeah, been right before, it should have been, uh, Wanda goes down into the basement. Agatha follows her. We get we don't necessarily get the reveal that she's she's uh, Agatha Harkness. We just cut yet. to Monica, right? You know, cut to Monica. She shows up, and then you know, like lead the audience to thinking, "Oh, Monica's gonna come in and save save uh, Wanda. Everything's gonna be okay." And then uh, Quicksilver or Pietro shows up and is like snooper's gonna soup snoop then we cut back to the basement for the full and reveal that's when we get the reveal and then credits i 100 yeah. percent agree with you uh this reminds me of my go-to example this is an issue of a lot of marvel post credits scenes but the best example to me is black panthers 
because Black Panther's ending point of the movie proper is a really perfect ending uh, of him talking to the kid. Um, mm-hmm. And then the idea of us cutting to the UN, which is a completely useless scene because it just says, we're opening our borders. That was already obvious from the end scene. Uh, there are some good lines in that scene. So if you wanted to keep it, just edit it in before he meets the kid, you know? Yeah. There's no reason yeah, for it to be in the middle of the credits. And there's actually, there's actually a deleted scene from Black Panther where Everett Ross talks to, uh, to, Ch- to T'Challa and says, do you really want to go through with this? And uh, then he tries to talk to him. Uh, Ross tries to talk to him in Wakandan and he butchers it butchers the translation and we get like it it was a really nice I'm really surprised they cut it because it was a really nice um it was a really nice scene between Ross and T'Challa but we will talk about my opinions on Ross whenever we get to Black Panther on our retro thing. I think I am much less fond of the character than you are. (laughs) I'll just leave it at that. See, I I think he needs to be he needs to be more fleshed out than I think than what he is. I think he shouldn't. Well, I won't get into it now. I think he shouldn't be a CIA agent. I think him being a CIA agent almost ruins the entire point of black panther as a film uh almost not entirely uh but we can get into that whenever we talk about black panther more but i think the scene you're talking about would work more i I agree that it sounds like it should have been the movie as a transition scene to the un one and the un scene should have been in the film proper uh Mm -hmm. i also have the opinion that post-credit scenes shouldn't be necessary to understand plot uh because most MCU post-credit scenes that are good fill in a gap that doesn't necessarily need to be filled. Like I think of Captain Marvel's post-credit scene where it's Captain Marvel briefly, but you don't actually get to see the reaction meeting the Avengers. But then in Endgame, it's like they're already close with each other. So it's okay. We establish something that we didn't need established because the Nick Fury post-credit scene kind of sets it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and again... I, I guess, though, that also would mean, like, is the Nick Fury post-credits scene necessary? Not really, also. But again, we can just assume that Captain Marvel showed up from what we get in Endgame itself. Next yeah. week, I presume this post-credits scene will be in the opening recap of previously on WandaVision. So, to me, I'm like, I don't know why this wasn't in the episode proper. It's also really weird to put a post-credits scene in the middle at during your seventh episode when we haven't had any so far. Yeah. And... I think you need to choose to be consistent and either have them every episode or just in the final episode. Yeah, I actually, my first time watching through, I skipped it because I was so used to there not being anything in the credits. And I, did, I thought, well, if they're going to put anything, it'll be at the end. And I just happened to let the credits credits roll through um, after I watched it the second time. The music broke up and yeah. it cuts cuts to the scene and then that plays out and I was like, oh, Wow. And, I mean, all we really get from this is, like, well, we know Evan Peters is alive in a way. Like, it's not like well, he's thing a is, though, puppet we kinda, of... We kind of got it, like, that from the Agatha Hall Long scene, too. Like, I didn't right. get the impression that, like... I didn't get the impression that he... Well, I guess you're right. We get like, uh, what To me, it was like he was like, kind of Agatha out of town this episode. To, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It... It, to me, all this confirmed is that he—it's not like he's a puppet that has to be controlled by 
Agatha the whole time. But we kind of got that last week too, you know? Agatha's on the other side of town for some reason sitting blankly in a car waiting for Vision to bother her. (laughs) And then, like, meanwhile, Petro's doing all his stuff. I don't know. I think the thing that Marvel needs to remember with their post-credit scenes, which they don't remember a lot, is that they need to have a purpose to them. I can only think of, like... I have a letterbox list for best post-credit scenes. I would say only the top seven are good, and there are 23 Marvel movies. Only the top mm. seven are worthy, and those are Avengers 1, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Iron Man 1, Cap 2, Guardians of the Galaxy 1, because the Howard the Duck joke is good, Spider-Man Homecoming, yeah. and Infinity War. After that, none of them are really good. I don't know what, what your opinions are. Um, I would, I would. I guess Captain Marvel, you could also throw in. I would fit. Um, even though I'm, I'm not a fan of the film. Um, I would still want to put the Incredible Hulk's. It's not a post credit. Post credit. Is it? Is it into the movie? Yeah, they put it. It was. It's very obviously designed to be a post credit scene, right? But it's edited on the film proper. Uh, Mm. Yeah, the bottom of my list for my post credit scenes list is Avengers Endgame, which obviously doesn't have a post credit scene. Yeah, Cap One, which has a trailer for the Avengers as the post credit scene, it's not an actual post credit scene. Yeah, and then Hulk doesn't have a post credit scene at all because they edited it on the film proper. Because of it's on the film. Okay, yeah, yeah no, that does make sense. I've you can see how much I watched that film. So, yeah. <laughs> but but then there there is that uh, the consultant one shot. Yeah, I was yeah, gonna say at one point we should actually, do a retro, do a retro episode just about the one shots. Like we watch all yeah, the one shots. Those are stuff. those are yeah. There are some pretty good one shots on there. Yeah, a couple uh, of them are iffy, but yeah. I, they get better as they go on. They I do. like the Agent Carter one a lot. One of these yeah, days Agent, I should finish Agent the show. Carter's a good one, and uh, I like the the Ben the Kingsley one, one with uh, Trevor. Yeah. yeah, the Ben Kingsley Ben Kingsley one is is really funny, um, but anyways yeah so so yeah post credit scenes and post credit scenes any of them <laughs> all credit scenes get rid of scenes just give us give us the title of the show give us the script we don't need the show anymore <laughs> we'll read we'll, yeah, we Going can back read a couple centuries <laughs> hey movies are meant to be read so why not television <laughs> and she killed sparky too i want to go back to this really quick <laughs> uh, because I thought us, I think God, and we she killed Sparky too would be a good place to end because I think that's an incredible punchline to that song. His stand with Capron just going, and I killed the dog. <laughs> uh, but here's the thing: is the thing I know about Agatha Harkness is she is meant to be in the comics. Isn't she like more a mentor to she, Wanda? She teaches so Wanda. In the comics, Wanda is a mutant, although there's a retcon line that... The retcon they did after Days of Future Past came out, right? And uh, Marvel was introducing their own one that was an Avenger, so they wanted to remove that from, you know, because Disney. They were like... Because Disney's going to Disney. (laughs) Yeah, they were basically like, well, she's not really a mutant. She just happens to have this power. Like, it's... Yeah, retcons. Um, But anyways, so... Uh, Wanda has Wanda has this control over this uh, over this magic, and Agatha basically teaches her how to unlock even more of her powers. 
and uh, to fully control her chaos magic. That's that's what uh, what's her name? Agatha. Agatha <laughs> all along. Do do. Agatha woof, all along. Woof. So <laughs> yeah, she uh, she basically teaches. She's a mentor. She's also Agatha is also the leader of. Uh, I read her origins this morning actually, and like. It was really weird. She was testing the weak witches during the Salem witch trials. She would allow the these uh, witches who were under her tutelage to be burned, and if they didn't make it, then they weren't strong enough. And that's it, actually, like it was, that's a it cool. Was, I'm sorry, that's that's really it's, badass. It's, like, it's, it's kind of like it's kind of like Hunger Games, like. That's really like, cool. Uh, that's, I like that origin story. That's a fun one. <laughs> but yeah, no, I was reading that, and then, uh, and then someone convinced her. They were like, "This is not the best like, way to do this," and she's like, "Okay." And I'm like, "Yeah, uh, all right, Catherine Hahn. <laughs> yeah, what are we doing here?" Well, but, my uh, question here is, yeah. is like, I would. I like Catherine Hahn a lot. I hope this isn't her only appearance in the MCU, being Wandavision. Mm-hmm. Uh, but can she become a mentor for Wanda is a big question uh, I had when this episode, like when they're like, I'm Agatha Harkness. I'm like, okay, so you're the bad guy for now, but is it possible someone is manipulating you and someone else is the bad guy and you shift into the mentor role? I know that character is, but then she tells us she killed a dog. <laughs> and to yeah. me, once, once you say you killed a puppy, you can't really be redeemed. Like there's nowhere, there's nowhere to go from there. You can't be like, I'm good now. But don't, I killed that puppy to traumatize your children. But don't worry, <laughs> I'm I'm on your side. Like what? Like it, it was all for the for the good. Well, that kind of that kind of ethics would kind of go into the burning, burning fellow witches at the stake to see if they're strong enough to sure, but I feel like survive you it. away with that more in comics. I feel like if we were introduced to this character of, I used to kill all my students. Like, right. this, right. I would not fly. Right. Um, and the other thing I have is, like, honestly, her saying she killed the Sparky, uh, that kind of confirms to me the motivation that I thought might have happened when we were talking about that episode when she killed Sparky. Which is that mm-hmm. she might be wanting Wanda to see if Wanda can resurrect someone because Wanda resurrected Vision. Perhaps she can resurrect something that is more. Uh, what's the word for it? Organic. Yeah, that's what I'm going Yeah. For. Something more organic than what Vision is. All right, so now we'll go into predictions. What do you think is going to happen next week? Well, I think. Well, first, the hope. Because I saw it on Twitter and I agree. Is imagine if next week we have Catherine Hahn doing the recap and goes previously on Agatha all along. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like that. Yeah. Uh, I think that. Uh, well, I will say what I I want to say what I don't think will happen. I think your theory of that you had last week that the kids will grow up one more time. I think that's gone. I don't think that will mm-hmm. happen anymore. I think the rest of the show will take place in the. I don't think we're going to go another day in this show. I think this show will end on what the day it is today. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so like, there won't be in the show, like, on this television show, there won't be any more WandaVision. It's gone off air. Yes. Right? Is that what so you're I'm saying? So I'm really curious yeah. how the next episode, well, I don't think there'll be another song in the show. I think that'd be really weird. 
I wouldn't. I I wouldn't be surprised if like for the end fight it starts jumping through eras even more. Like this episode kind of hinted at, but that's mm-hmm. two episodes from now. Uh, I mean, my theory is is that Wanda Vision will save Wanda and Monica. Uh, I don't know. I don't really have actually a lot of speculation for next week. I think next week will be interesting to see where this goes because I'm. It's. I, I you know what actually I think next week we'll get some more reveals. I think we'll get Monica's motivation, not Monica. Mm-hmm. We'll get um Agatha's Agatha. motivation. We might get a reveal on what Petro actually is. Mhm. Um that's uh, yeah, I hope we I hope we get that. And I wonder where the week. kids are. I'm actually really confused where the kids are because of the post credit scene. Because mm-hmm. I would have thought Petro was with them. But yeah, he's not. They, he so, was off distracting them. So, yeah, I want to know where the kids are. And I have a theory, but it's also more like a... It's not really a theory. It's a... It will either happen next week or will be the cliffhanger next week. Is I think we're either going to get the sword plot wrapped up next week. Or that will be the cliffhanger. will be sword being like, the inside of there is the same as our weapons. Like, it's the same level of technology as our weapons because it's 2010. Mm-hmm. So we can just barge in and we will get an assault on them. It also could very well, that's the middle of the episode, and the end of the episode is Vision and Wanda fighting them and defending their home. Because uh, that's like the one thing from the first trailer we haven't seen yet, is Vision being like, this is our home, let's defend it. Yeah, yeah. And it looks to be around this time. And that, to me, has to be directed more towards S.W.O.R.D. than to Agatha. Yeah. And I could see it being something where like Agatha and Petro briefly escape while S.W.O.R.D. does their thing. So Vision and Wanda and the kids, hopefully, at that point, they have them. Or like we need to defend this with Monica, and with Darcy, and with I guess Jimmy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that could be the end of the episode—a big fight scene there that wraps up the sword. I think the sword plot. I hope the sword plot plot is wrapped up next week because I don't think we need more of it. I think it's run its course, especially now that Monica and Darcy are both inside the hex. Uh, Jimmy's only one out there. I could see Jimmy's subplot being calling Doctor Strange or something like that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. at this point, Jimmy. I also think. I think we we should acknowledge what I think red herrings are, because at this because the aerospace and engineer thing was a red herring. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the witness protection ended up being a red herring. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of anything else that was really red herring, to me. I'm not sure. I still think Petro could be a red herring, and him being having Peters is just a joke recast. This has nothing to do for the characters. Yep. I don't know what else. Uh, do you have any ideas for red herrings? Then we can go on to your speculation. I, I don't know. Okay. Well, what do you think will happen next week? I I think we may actually get an hour-long episode for once. I, I hope so. Um, for your sake, <laughs> not mine. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> well, I, I actually uh, agree. I think at this point we do need longer episodes if the sitcom yeah. conceit is gone. But go on. Yeah. Um, I don't think there will be a Wanda versus Vision um, uh, escapade uh, conflict. Kind of a bummer to me, but be- I agree. Because, because of Darcy's explanation of Wanda and Vision's love for each other. You mean the scene when uh, Vision and had just been told his entire life is a lie, but all we got out of it was Darcy going like, Hey, you guys should kiss. Yeah, your love is real, even though you don't remember any of it. And then they sat yeah. in the stoplight for ten minutes, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> great. So yeah, that's that's pretty much that's uh, what I'm predicting. Uh, I do agree with you that more, the kids aren't going to grow up anymore. If if they were going to grow up, they would have already done it. 
Um, and I, st- I stick by what I said last week. I think that's going to be a good dynamic if they stick around for Young Avengers. Yeah. And these these, these are kids good, are young. These are good actors, too. Yeah, and I these think... child actors, yeah. I think Miss Marvel's actor, she's not as young as them. I think she's like... I think she's like 15-ish. So she's still... Mm-hmm. I think these kids... I don't know. I don't know the age of these kids, obviously. I think they're like 13. And I like the idea of the Young Avengers team being very diverse in age, but all yeah. being young. And if these kids are the youngest, that's fun. And mm-hmm. I also like it because I think... Well, I'll put it this way. If these kids are here, they're going to be in Doctor Strange too. I don't see how we continue Wanda's story without these kids. Uh, and me imagining these kids delivering, like, Sam Raimi... Uh, you know what? Like, you know, like, Spider-Man 1. Like, those Spider-Man movies. Like, they're very sincere. Yeah. And the idea of the, those kids being in that gets me excited, so... Uh, do you have anything else you think? No. Nah? All right, no. well, then we got to move on to the speculation I've been excited to talk about. So, we have six theories for you guys off of an interview that Paul Bettany delivered. Well, he actually delivered it when the show premiered, but he's re-clarified what he meant. Uh, his thing is, is that he said that in the finale of this show, he gets to share scenes of an actor that he has wanted to work with for quite a long time. Uh, and he, it's a huge surprise. So we want to speculate on who that is. And the reason we're doing it this week and not what next week is that it's very possible that the cliffhanger next week is this actor showing up. So first we need to rule out some people. Uh, we can rule out Ben to Cumberbatch uh, as Doctor Strange because he's been in three separate movies with Paul Bettany, including Infinity War. I don't think he shared a scene with Bettany in Infinity War, but I think he has shared a scene in one of his other films with Paul Bettany. Uh, we also want to rule out the Jeremy Renner as Hawkeye theory because obviously he had a huge fight with Vision in Civil War. Uh, so with those two ruled out, we both have three theories for you and reasonings behind them. Uh, hopefully one of them ends up being right. If not, it's just going to be a very funny thing to listen back to and listen to how we're totally wrong, <laughs> totally in the wrong area. So Tyler is going to give you his three thirsts, and I'm going to give you my three. All right, so this first theory is the multiverse theory, which is Michael Fassbender as Magneto um, coming in. We could finally get the father-son moment between Magneto and Quicksilver. That was teased in... Uh, it, uh, it was in Apocalypse. X-Men Apocalypse, yeah. I about said Age of Apocalypse, but that's the comic line. Yeah, um, in X-Men Apocalypse. Um, I... I'm not sure how effective Magneto would be against magic, but he would help against sword. Um, we could also get a nice little moment with uh, with Wanda finally getting a break. You know, uh, we talk about grief, and she would finally, maybe finally get a break with uh, Magneto. Dad's a super with, villain from with Dad coming in there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, but... Um, and I, I'm a, I'm a fan as much as I am a fan of Ian McKellen. I think it makes logistically makes more sense for Marvel if they're going to bring over one of the two Magnetos for them to bring over Fassbender. Um, so uh, yeah, there's that one. The multiverse theory. Um, Michael Fassbender as Magneto. <laughs> and then the second one is what we are calling the Keanu corollary theory. <laughs> which is Al Pacino as Mephisto. Um, The reasoning behind this is Al Pacino played the devil and devil's advocate, so yeah. 
I do think actually though you don't have this listed as evidence, but I think a few, I think around award season 2019 because he was doing all the press for the Irishman because he was nominated yeah. for that time. He mentioned that he did take a meeting with Kevin Feige and he wanted to do a Marvel role at some point. So we do think Al, Pac- I do think at least that Al Pacino will show mm-hmm. up at some point in Marvel. I don't know if it's this theory or not because I'm not really saying if I saw any of your theories or not because we yeah. But I do want to add that to yours that Al Pacino has met with Marvel for something. Gotcha. We just don't know what it is. So this I, is very I mean, possible. He was just in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and The Irishman, right? Yeah. And he's going to be in a, I think, he's going to be in a new Ridley Scott movie next year too. So he's, he's well, keeping busy. That's true. And he's, he, uh, Mephisto doesn't necessarily, does not engage in hand-to-hand combat. Much. Yeah, I feel like, it's more I think of he's deception. Very Kurt Russell, Robert Redford type of thing. And yeah, you know what I yeah. mean. Like we've had them; they're fine. I don't. I don't want to rule out Al Pacino being in a Marvel production as a major role. Mm-hmm. I think he'd be. He could stick around for a couple, like six or seven years. Still, he's not that. Well, and there old. and Mephisto is active in a ton of uh, superheroes who are already Spider Man. <laughs> yes, I mean Spider Man, Thor. I I, I could go on dr strange um so mephisto is in a ton of comics with characters that have already been introduced into the mcu um so there's a lot of playability with uh with that as well but uh and then there's the monica connection wait, theory. wait, wait i gotta be dramatic again the Keanu yeah. corollary theory al pacino as mephisto okay then on. there's the monica <laughs> connection theory which is ben mendelson as talos um, this makes sense comic-wise because the scrolls cross paths with Monica Rambo quite a bit in the comics, and we do have Secret Wars coming along. Um, I don't know in what capacity Talos would necessarily spend in like within within this because I imagine if Talos would be like, yeah, I can just look like Quicksilver or look like Pietro, and then go in to the go into into the reality and trick Agatha, I'm pretty sure Agatha's gonna be able to sense that that's not the true Well, I feel like you know, if so. Ben Mendelssohn Well, this isn't me saying that it's not gonna happen, but I feel like if a yeah. scroll was going to be anyone, it would have been Monica's aerospace friend. Which could yeah. still be revealed. Uh it's very possible that her friend kept on a human appearance because mm-hmm. um Jimmy Woo, right? Jimmy Woo might freak out about it. Yeah. Uh, furthermore, there's nothing saying uh, uh, gender doesn't really matter. Is my point. So it could be Ben Mendelsohn, you know? Oh, well, yeah, that yeah, character because, could be Ben Mendelsohn. Well, because Ben Mendelsohn transform or changes into a woman surfer yeah. in the Captain Marvel movie. So we know that male scrolls can become, when you know, they just can't become uh, female or whatever. Right, <laughs> or 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 cats because they don't know what cats are. But um, they should watch the Tom Hooper film. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I I think that Ben Mendelsohn coming in as Talos uh, would be would be cool. Um, also, one thing that would back up this theory uh, is that it to me, sword is. <laughs> Sword is part of the government, so to me, why would the why would this group of military officers why would they have all this equipment and just be like, yeah, you can use it? 
I would you also. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, I actually, I, I'm gonna keep said, boosting this said, theory. She said, "We have, we have your back." Let me boost this you know, theory for you a bit too. So is that mm-hmm. Far From Home takes place eight months after Wandavision? Yeah, I don't know if you know that, because uh, it takes yeah, place eight months after Endgame, and this takes place three weeks after Endgame. Yeah. Uh, and we know in Far From Home, they easily buy the multiverse thing that Mysterio puts forward. Maybe the mm-hmm. reason they buy it is because they see this wacky thing going on with Wanda right now. And then, you know what I mean? Like, that would make yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I could see this all being true. It'd be a pretty crazy thing. Uh, oh, and to be clear to the listeners, we've cross-checked all these people to be if they've worked with Paul Bettany. None of these people have worked with Paul Bettany. Uh, these three Tyler just said and the three I'm about to mention uh, so yeah uh, you done Tyler can I say I anything am. really dramatically the Monica connection theory Ben Mendelssohn as Talos now it's time for mine so the first one is a theory that we've said before on the show but I'm going to say it again because he has not worked with Paul Bettany and that is uh, the strange connection theory which would bring back Chuatul Ejiofor as Baron Mordo. Uh, this would make sense because we know Baron Mordo is in Doctor Strange 2. We know Wanda's in Doctor Strange 2. Somehow Paul Bettany has never worked with him, even though he's considered one of the forefront British actors uh, like working. And I want to point out here, uh, all three of mine, well, no, two of mine are British because I feel like Paul Bettany as a British actor who like, I, maybe it's stereotypical, but I feel like British actors really want to work with other like legendary British actors. Um, and I, the only thing that has me iffy on this is the same reason I'm kind of iffy towards your theory. I mean, I said I wasn't going to comment much, but I'm kind of iffy towards your Ben Mendelsohn theory and your Michael Fassbender theory for the same reason I am this, is that to me, him saying he's wanted to work with him his whole life would imply it's an older actor. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, Chiwetel is in the same age as Paul Bettany, but I don't, I would not be surprised to see Baron Mordor show up at the end. Perhaps Baron Mordor trained Agatha to do all this, you know? Maybe he's behind it all instead of Mephisto. I think that's very possible still and would lead into Doctor Strange 2 very nicely. Because um, we know Mordo. I don't know if he's supposed to be the main bad guy there, but he is in the film significantly. Um, and I think people... It's also... To me, this option is the best one we have besides your... Of my three, it's the best one we have in the terms of people are going to recognize who this character is because they've seen Doctor yeah. Strange. They'll yeah. be like, oh, that's Baron Mordo from Doctor Strange. I can watch Doctor Strange on Disney Plus right now if I'm not familiar with this character. Uh, but yeah, that's the strange connection theory. Uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor as Baron Mordo is something we've kind of discussed before on the show, but I'm sticking by it because Paul Bettany hasn't worked with him. Uh, my next one is, do you want to say it really dramatically? The Strange Connection Theory, Chiwetel Ejiofor as Baron Mordo. Alright, so next one I have is the Big Name Cameo Theory, which would just be Dick Van Dyke showing up as, I have it listed, I don't know. Because to me, if Dick Van Dyke shows up, he's not going to play an important (laughs) character. I think Dick Van Dyke showing up makes a ton of sense, though. Sitcoms. Yeah, sitcoms. And the first episode... Uh, we in our podcast we kept referring to it as I Love Lucy, but in retrospect, looking back on it and reading the discourse, it seems as though it was more a take on the Dick Van Dyke show. Uh, Dick Van Dyke also recently cameoed, well, recently two years ago, uh, cameoed in Mary Poppins Returns, uh, which means he is still well connected with Disney. He still likes working with Disney. Uh, I could see him wanting to show up in a Marvel project because he's 
Dick Van Dyke, and he was like, and he likes showing and stuff, stuff, and he likes showing up and stuff for his grandkids, uh, or great grandkids. I don't know how many kids he has, but my point is, he would make a lot of sense. Uh, it would totally make sense why Paul Bettany would be like, I want to work with this guy because he is a legend, right? Uh, and he's still working, and that's kind of crazy that Dick Van Dyke has been working for so long. Um, I don't know what role he would play. I. My personal theory is if Dick Van Dyke showed up, he would just kind of show up as like a vision to Wanda. That, no pun intended, but you know what I mean. Like, uh, like, like you know, Wanda would be like thinking about it, and like he would just appear, like as a corporeal being. I don't, I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Dick Van Dyke show up. Uh, and yeah, give it to me, Tyler. The big name cameo theory: Dick Van Dyke as I don't know. Now this last one is a theory. This this theory I'm really proud of, because um, I came across it by accident. So it's the accidental theory. Before I tell you what it is, I want to explain how I got to it. Um, so I was talking, texting Tyler earlier this week, and I asked him if he'd seen this movie called "Can You Ever Forgive Me?" that came out a couple of years ago. It's a dramedy, and Melissa McCarthy was Oscar nominated for it, and he told me he didn't. Uh, so I was thinking of a "Can You Ever Forgive Me?" and another actor in "Can You Ever Forgive Me?" is Richard E. Grant. Uh, also Academy Award nominated for his role in there. And then I realized something is that Richard E. Grant is currently on the Loki cast list as a special guest star playing an undisclosed, uh, uh, an undisclosed role. Uh, and I got to thinking that Richard E. Grant is in his 60s. He was Oscar nominated at a very young age before Paul Bettany got in the business. He has been considered a legend in the British theater community and and Britain in general. Uh, and he's recently had a, quite a career resurgence after Can You Ever Forgive Me? Because he was in Rise of Skywalker. Bad role, but I, I'll forgive him for it because he's Richard E. Grant. Uh, he also once liked one of my tweets, and that made me feel really good about myself. And he'll be the last celebrity to like my tweets because I'm on private now. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but no, he liked my tweets during Oscar season. That was really cool. I was bummed he didn't win the Oscar, but we can talk about that at a different point. But anyway... Uh, and any going back to so he's going to be in Loki, and in the Loki trailer, we can see I think Owen Wilson sitting in front of a stained glass window with a devil character in front of it, and then I realized Richard E. Grant would be perfect cast against Mephisto from all of his roles I've seen him in, uh, and it would make total sense that Paul Bettany would want to work with him. It would make sense that Mephisto could show up in Loki because we see the stained glass window in the trailer. This being an early bird cameo for Loki makes sense because. Even if he is a one-off guest star there, I think Mephisto, as you said, would keep popping up and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, even well, sm- and, small roles. And, uh, and Loki, from what we've seen in the trailers, Loki seems to be um, bouncing around in time and reality yep. as well. So Yeah, so I think my this theory is that Richard E. Grant uh, is playing Mephisto, which I would be very excited for because my worry was when I saw he was cast as a special guest star in Loki was that he was he's a really great actor uh, and he's very underused by Hollywood uh, and he's very underexposed in my opinion because he's a character he's kind of like a, I don't want to give this direct comparison but he's kind of like J.K. Simmons uh, in the sense that he it pops up in everything yeah but he's never really like appreciated even though he's been Oscar nominated twice but one of them was when he was really young so, but then he was just recently nominated, which is why he's now having career resurgence of being in Star Wars and then being in the Loki show. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, 
that's my theory that I really hope is right because everything else we've said here, besides actually, no, your Ben Mendelsohn one I haven't heard by anyone else either. So we both ended on the ones you can't hear anywhere else. Uh, but yeah, I think it's going to be Richard E. Grant. If it is, I'm going to be so excited I called it because it was a total accident that I got to this theory. And it's just because I was thinking about that Melissa McCarthy movie. Which is great, by the way. <laughs> so, Tyler, take it away. All right, that wraps up. No, this you have to say my theory, cool. <laughs> <laughs> the accidental theory: Richard E. Grant as Mephisto. Thank you. Now you can start the outro. <laughs> that wraps up this week's episode of Why Is with Ty and Dan. Thank you for listening. You can catch us on various podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on our website, whyiswithtydan.buzzsprout.com. You can also like our page on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at whyiswithtyand1. And you can follow me, Danny Vincent, on Letterboxd at Blank Mints for reviews of movies, including those that aren't in the MCU. Uh, but yeah... We'll catch you next week in the penultimate episode of WandaVision. Woot woot. Bye.